This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Breaking news, LeBron is a Laker. We'll win a championship this year. Paul George, corner three. Yes, sir! Bryant has to put it up with the buzzer. Banks it in! <laughs> he banks in the three! And the Lakers win the game! What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Battle for LA podcast, part of the Clutch Points and Blue Wire Networks. As usual, Tamara's Arley here, your Clutch Points beat writer. I'm joined today by a very special guest, uh, a legend by many accounts, Mr. Michael Cooper himself of the Los Angeles Lakers. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Uh, my pleasure, uh, T. Um, but, you know, your, your battle for L.A., that, that, that initial, that's, that's dead and gone. So you have to change that because we know there's only one team in Los Angeles, and that's the, <laughs> that's the Los Angeles Lakers going for their 17th championship. Man, you didn't even wait 30 seconds to get that in. I like that. I like that. I'm tired of hearing that all season. All the Clippers this, the Clippers that. Okay, well, let's see. Well, look, we we, we started this out because we thought Lakers and Clippers were bound to meet in the conference finals. Uh, One team took care of business in getting there. Well, the Lakers have held the part. And one team uh, did not. Um, Hold it like a cheap suit. (laughs) I guess before we get started with that, though, I just want to ask, how are you doing amid the pandemic and everything that's going on in the world right now? Are you and your family safe? Everything good? See, doing good, yeah. And I mean, you know, this is some crazy times we're living in. And uh, you know, my uncle, uh, he's still alive. His name is Tom. He used to tell me, like, when I was a young kid, I'd ask him certain questions about the civil unrest back in the '60s and and, and the early '90s. And he said, "Keep on living. You're gonna see some other things." And boy, have we seen it! This, this is just so incredible. But I do believe uh, the one thing I try to do, take the positive out of it, is you know, in our busy lives. We go through and we hardly ever see our family. You know, my wife is gone in the morning. I'm gone. My son is going to school. We very rarely meet if we have dinner at all. And uh, so I look at this as a time to bring the family back together. I've (laughs) spent more time with my wife than I really want to and my son, but I'm (laughs) loving it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's that family feeling. And yes, we're indoors, but you know, we're indoors together. So let's hope we can climb out of this, uh, uh, a little earlier than later and uh, as safely as we can. And you? Uh, all's good here. Like you said, uh, spending more time with family. I mean, obviously the office is closed. Uh, Staples Center is not open. So we're not able to go cover games 
which is disappointing because Staples should have been rocking throughout these playoffs. Um, and it's, it's disappointing, but hopefully we can get back to that next year. Uh, I know players have mentioned that they got to spend a lot of time with their kids. Uh, when, you know, when usually they're preparing for the playoff, they could have spent time with their kids a good three to four months. Obviously, it was a pandemic and it's scary, uh, but it, it, was, it was great to hear a lot of players say they could spend time with families. Um, moving around to the bubble, though, uh, I'm curious, how do you think your era would have done in a bubble-like environment? Because I've heard a lot of mixed reactions, you know, like Kevin Garnett, I know he's a little past yours, but said he, he couldn't really – it would be trouble for those guys. But how do you think your era, the Showtime era, could have handled the bubble? I think it would have been uh, uh, difficult, but I think any time changes are something that's part of life, and I think we would have dealt with it. Uh, uh, you know, it kind of brings me back to that feeling of college basketball, mm-hmm. uh, because you just it's not a lot of travel. I mean, you kind of like more with your team. So I actually uh, was going to say the, the biggest part about that was going to be the, the fact that people would say this NBA champion year – you'd have to put an asterisk by it. But I don't right. think so anymore. I think these are some difficult times that these guys have played under difficult circumstances, not being around their family at a crucial part because you do want your family, especially when the playoffs start. So I thought it was uh, – it's going to be different, but I, I think we have been able to handle it too. It's just an adjustment. And, and when you're playing basketball, that's the name of the game. People throw a zone at you, man to man. They're doing different things. So you have to adjust on the fly. So I guess – which superstar do you think would have had, like, I guess, best handling or most trouble handling it? Because we've heard guys say, you know, they've really missed their families. This has been really tough on them. But some have been able to sort of cruise through this um, and just say, you know, this is a business trip. I miss my family, but this is a business trip. I'm going to do this, get home whenever I get home, and then deal with it then. I think the two teams that you see are in the finals, the Miami Heat, and for sure just knowing and being in Los Angeles, around LeBron, I think uh, he's handled extremely well. Uh, he's a family man, real big family values, want to be around his family. But I think you saw, and again, just talk specifically about the Lakers, how they just honed in and got themselves in that bubble. And they, they, they truly became, and it was kind of nice to see how they just formed into a team. Uh, nobody left. Uh, you might have had a blip here or there, but they all were committed. Uh, to playing in the bubble, and that's why they're in the position to win our 17th championship in our organization, and uh, they're going to do it in the grand old fashion. I think 7-4-0, maybe 4-1 <laughs> at the most. Giving give Miami a couple games there. Now, I'm curious, obviously, you know, you do work for, for Spectrum and, and covering the Lakers, or maybe some uh, ABC as well, uh, but you know, the Lakers didn't have a great seeding game, bubble seeding games uh, period. They, they sort of struggled. Their offense didn't look that great. Uh, their defense was okay, uh, but they really seemed to just turn it on once playoff time started. No one's pushed them past five, uh, and they've shown the ability from Vogel, LeBron, AD, all the way down to the role players, uh, the ability to adjust on the fly, whether, you know, it's, it's Alex Caruso or Rajon Rondo being called on to play big minutes, big important minutes. Uh, and then we've seen Vogel, you know, take out uh, JaVale McGee in the starting lineup um, for the Rocket Series. So I'm curious, what were your thoughts on how the Lakers would do at the beginning of the bubble? Uh, and then and how have those matched up to where you think they are now? Well, I knew it was going to be uh, difficult for all teams, not just the Lakers, but for all teams in the bubble. And I think if you go back before the bubbles, the Lakers were the number one uh, shot-blocking team, uh, I think probably top three defensive team in the league. So mm-hmm. usually – 
especially when you come into the bubble now, you don't have to travel, you don't have to worry about hotel rooms and this and that and back and forth. That's when you can really hone in on your defense. And I think the coaching staff with Frank has done a tremendous job of making adjustments each series. Each series presents its own problem. And the first one was Damian Lillard with Portland. And they, you know, they lost the first game, but they were able to solve that. So defense is the key to anything that you're doing. As long as you have verbal communication on the defensive end and you stick to the game plan, stick to attention to detail. That's what's very, very important once you get into the playoffs. And in this case, in the bubble, you're not going anywhere. So let's focus in on what we got to do. I think the Lakers have done that tremendously. Uh, they are still a very – and, and – each game, you can see their proudness or their, their uh, confidence in the defensive schemes that they're presenting teams with, and everybody's following suit. You will see a missed assignment here or there, but as long as they talk to each other and you see LeBron on these guys, you know, or giving them that weird look about why weren't you there, uh, that, that's the importance of winning a championship, and that's why they have, the, have, have put themselves in a the position that they are in today. Now, this organization is obviously used to winning championships uh, throughout their history. Uh, and I'm curious uh, for you, uh, being a former player, having won five rings yourself, uh, where does where do LeBron and, and AD stand in Laker history? If the Lakers are able to, when the Lakers are able to pull this off, hoping they do, uh, where do they stand? Because 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 they're used to, you know, we see retired jerseys. They win multiple championships, not just one. So where do you think they stand? Well. If you look at the Laker history and the lore of it, I think the only one that they have to really compete with would be the Shaq and Kobe because they didn't have a third player. If you look at the history going back to Jerry West, it was Jerry, Will, Elgin Baylor. Those are the three. Then with us and our, our run in the 80s, it was, it was Magic, Kareem, and Worthy. Mm-hmm. So they have to put themselves in a different position. And uh, I'm going to say that you put them up there. I'm not going to put them up there too far because what people understand, recognize, and realize is that championships is kind of like how they measure you up to the great ones and the great teams. But I think that they're on a good uh, collision course with some of the best Laker tandem that's ever been up there. I think they are the most unique tandem that you have. I think Kobe was a typical one-two guard, just a shooting guard if you have to really pinpoint his position. Shaq was just a center. I think Jerry and them all played their position as well as Kareem and Magic. And Magic was unusual because he's a 6'9 point guard, but Kareem was just a center. AD and LeBron presents a problem that I don't think anybody has ever had a chance to experience. LeBron being able to play all five positions, AD being able to play all four positions uh, from the uh, two, three, four. And like now, Lakers got him on the perimeter and he's shooting threes with the best of them. So mm-hmm. if they go on and win this, I think they definitely have to be recognized as uh, going down the Laker glory of uh, great teammates that's ever won championships. But just think, and I do believe this, and I'm going to make a bold prediction. When the Lakers win a championship now, they'll win the next three in a row. And obviously they're going to have to have some replacement people coming in. There's going to be some player personnel moves. But I do see them, and, you know, LeBron's going to play. I think he's on a mission, not just to win championships, but he wants to set himself apart. And he's the closest one that we've had since Carl Malone that could possibly catch and break Kareem's scoring record. So look for that. But those two are definitely – let's get this championship first, then we can talk about where we're going to place them. But they're definitely up there. <laughs> you jumped into a bunch of topics that I had listed out, and I love that. Uh, I'm just curious – you know, obviously you listed the top tier talent on this team is, is, is uncomparable to any other team. Um, LeBron and AD are two top five players. It's not even close. But when they do win this one, I guess, how many more do you think this core uh, can win? 
Well, I think there's got to be some adjustments because uh, going at the beginning of the season, everybody was talking about who that third person was going to be. Mm-hmm. And with Avery Bradley not coming into the bubble, because I do believe he wasn't that scorer, that consistent scorer. Now, his defense was on point all the time, and he had some big scoring games. But I think what the Lakers are going to have to do is find another person that they know for sure that can come in on any given night and get at least 15 points a game. That way you take a lot of pressure off AD and LeBron where they don't have to score 30, both of them, and have 65 points for us to have a chance to win. That way one of them possibly can take a night off where that third score. But I like what has happened because the Lakers have truly developed into team. Team means together everyone achieves more. And that third score has been Rondo, KCP, Caruso, Kuzma, he was the one counted on Kuzma to being that third scorer, but that hasn't come to fruition. But he has played well in the bubble. So I think once the Lakers win this, take a deep breath, do their player personnel move. And before I go any further, I want to say, you know what? All this is not possible without Magic Johnson. Magic started this ball rolling by persuading LeBron to come to Los Angeles and players persuade other players to come to L.A. So that's where the greatness starts. And through the Laker organization, greatness trickles down from up top. Dr. Buss, Jerry West, on down to us. And now you have the same situation with Jeannie Buss, uh, Linda Rambis, Magic, and then Rob Palenka. So looking at it that way, that's how uh, runs start. And I think this is the Lakers' run. So player personnel, they'll look at that and hopefully make some moves. They're going to have to make some moves. You don't, with this team here, I don't think you can go into another year with the same identical team and win a championship. Because if you look at the work that LeBron and AD are having to do, it's a, it's a little much for them. And other guys have had, you gotta have that other third score. And I think you need another solid point guard that can play good, good defense. Cruz is all right, but he's not that one, I think that can go out and, and legitimately stop a Damian every night by himself with just a little bit of help from the team. So before we move on, I wanted to go back to your hot take. You said the Lakers, if they win this year, will win, will go three-peat? I think they'll three-peat with some additions. I do. I really do believe it. They'll, they'll okay. three-peat. I don't really see anybody that's going to give them problems. And I think what has happened in the NBA in the last year or two, and Houston started this with this small ball thing, I think that the Lakers have killed that off. With AD, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and LeBron being a legitimate big, they're too big for these teams now. So I think you're going to get back to what – the NBA used to be like in the 80s where you got a legitimate center, where you got a power forward. You got people that can bang and rebound and do all that dirty work. And it's not going to be about that small ball, just shooting threes all the time. And if you look at what the Lakers did to the Denver Nuggets, and you got to credit that team with what they've done as far as coming back from Utah 3-1, beating the Clippers 3-1, and then holding their own against the Lakers. What wore them down was the Lakers' height. And I think that's what's going to happen. And teams are going to – because when a team wins a championship, everybody looks at the top and say, okay, what do we have to do to beat them? What you got to do to beat the Lakers, you got to get big. Because, in a sense, they're bigs. AD play like little guards. But, again, the bottom line, them guys are 6'11", 7 feet tall down there, blocking shots and out-rebounding everybody. Now, I guess the one team that everyone – assumed would meet the Clippers obviously the Lakers obviously with the Clippers uh, and they sort of seem to match up with them you know position by position uh AD sort of had the 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 advantage in the in the big man spot uh but I'm curious uh many thought that the Clippers sort of looked ahead and didn't you know their chem they have chemistry they have a bunch of issues um 
How do you think that matchup would have gone? And that, that, that head-to-head with LeBron and Kawhi and PG and AD and just that, that superstardom that I think LA was thirsting for really hard. Well, I think, first of all, the, the, uh, it's different playing the Lakers when you play them and then uh, the next night you're playing another team and two nights before. When you get into the playoffs, you're playing one team. You mm-hmm. focus in on that one team. The only problem I think the Lakers had with the Clippers is that I think they were a little bit fearful of their tenacity and their toughness. I think uh, Montrez Harold was a real rough and tough player. Zubox, not, a, uh, uh, not real physical, but still a big kid under there that uses his body. And then those people on the, on the perimeter were rough and tough and ready to go. You had Lou Williams, uh, Patrick Beverly, Paul George, and Kawhi. But I think the Lakers would have solved that. And I think once they, uh, they had gotten past that one loss and make their adjustments, I do believe they would have beat the Clippers uh, in for the Western Conference Finals myself. So um, Clippers, uh, that, and I would love to have seen that. I would love to have seen that series just to see because mm-hmm. that's when the chess match work comes in right. on you making moves. And it would have been fun, but you know what? They didn't uphold their bargain. We <laughs> upheld ours. And we're the king of Los Angeles, and we will always be the number one team in Los Angeles. Real quick before we move on, I, I, were you surprised by the Clippers moving on from Doc Rivers? Not really, not really. Um, when that when they lost that last game, I kind of said to myself, I said, I think Doc might be in a little bit of trouble because I think uh, Mr. Bomber, the owner of the Clippers, is looking to break through. He's looking mm-hmm. to break through, and if you look at Doc's, you know, his record. Uh, what was it? Two years ago, they lost a three-one lead. Uh, In 2015, yeah. Yeah, 2015, they lost it. It was just that was heartbreaking there because you had uh, Chris Paul and and Blake Griffin, and they right there on the cusp when you can't break through, and then to come back with this year here and losing. Now, granted, Denver was a good team, but they weren't a team that should have come back and beat you three straight. No way that should have happened. So when that happened. I kind of figured that Doc might be in a little bit of trouble. But you know what? Doc is a great coach. He did tremendous things with this organization. He's taken them through two turbulent times, a racist owner that they got rid of, and he guided that team and kept that team together and forced them through this, and then this pandemic where he held that team together. So Doc, you know, with all these other jobs out there that are open, Doc would come up on another one. But I know he wished he could have got a chance to see this through because you know what? And I, I, I make light of the situation, Lakers and Clippers, because I'm gung-ho Lakers. But the Clippers are a very good basketball team, and it's just one thing they need. We can't see that from the outside looking in. It's going to have to be done from the inside looking out. And when the new coach come in, they're going to have to make a little adjustment somewhere in order for them to take that next step to greatness. Well, I wanted to go back now to um, – thank you for the th- thoughts on Doc Rivers. I, I actually uh, – I thought there's a chance he'd come back, but – it's tough. It's tough. Like you said, Balmer is just a very determined owner. He wants to break through finally. Um, going back to uh, Magic Johnson, who you mentioned earlier, um, obviously huge credit to him to bring LeBron. He was sort of a, LeBron's been compared to him as sort of a, a point guard at the forward position. Um, but the end of his Lakers tenure was not good by any stretch in terms of the, the you know, the management. Um, he sort of left in, at the end of the season, uh, I guess you could say in a way the Lakers organization was a bit in shambles because they'd missed the playoffs after having LeBron, uh, but they bounced back. I, I think they've made every move perfect from there on. Um, I guess what was your reaction to the Magic Johnson exit, the way that ended and how the team has bounced back since then? Well, I think going back uh, 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 and, and knowing a little bit about the situation, I just think that Magic had a lot that he was going on. He was brought there to do what he did is to change the culture, get the, uh, 
to get a superstar player to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, his job was not a day in a day out job. And I think he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He come there and again, he's a businessman. He's doing other things. And uh, some people didn't see it that way, one, one or the other. But you know what? His, I think him leaving was good, not, not for him, but I also think it was good for the Lakers. Because again, when you're trying to win a championship, you don't need riffs going on up top. Like I told you, greatness flows from up top all the way mm-hmm. down. So him taking a step to the side, and now he really gets to watch and admire his work, the work that he put in there. And sometimes you're not always there to watch it, but you know what? He was part of it. So um, I just think he did what was best for him. Him and uh, you can't blame him for that because that's what Magic has always done. Even going back to where they said he had Paul Westhead fired, Magic didn't do that. Magic just couldn't play under the circumstances, so Dr. Bus removed the head coach. I mean, it wasn't that Magic's request because he needed Magic to be the best player he can be, and we weren't playing well under Coach Westhead. And that's how I feel with this situation here. Lakers rebounded. Uh, some people got on their jobs and doing what they do. Now we got to see if we can continue to keep this rolling. But I do believe they always reach out to Magic and still uh, get his thoughts and, and, and uh, knowledge on, on certain player personnel moves. Mm-hmm. Now, Showtime Lakers were a hell of an era for the Lakers. Um, now, I'm not comparing it to this one, but I will, I will ask you, who do you think, which team, I guess, do you think this team could, could compete with the Showtime Lakers era? No, nah. we, we would have ran them in the ground. We had too many weapons in Arsenal. And, uh, again, I think errors are ran by the coaches. And uh-huh. Coach Vogel was a good coach, and he got a win. But Coach Riley always had us ready to roll. <laughs> and that's why you see the Miami Heat in the position there. And, yeah, Coach Spolster is down there on the sideline. But I guarantee you everything is going through Pat Riley up top. So uh, this team would have uh, – I think we would have matched up a little bit better. And, again, uh-huh. I think our concept of playing against great teams was we're going to take one thing away from you. You know, whatever you like to do, we'll try to take that one thing and then we'll deal with the rest. But our best weapon, our best weapon was our ability to fleet a foot. We were going to outrun you. And uh-huh. then you know what? You're going to have – you weren't worried about scoring because you had to worry about it. When I shoot this ball and leave my hand, I got to get back gotta on get defense. Back. And I think that was our strength as well as our defense. I thought we were a very good defensive team, but it would have been nice to see a lot of these teams. I think I would love to have seen the 91 Bulls when they started winning, how we would have matched up with them. Uh, The Golden State Warriors, I never thought a team could win by shooting jump shots. That team totally dispelled that from me. All they did was shoot threes. So there are a lot of teams that I wish that we could have played or how we would have matched up well, and this is one of them. They, they, they would have definitely made it difficult for us. I guarantee you that. But our double teams would have been really, really vicious on LeBron when he got to the low post as well as AD. Now, I have to ask, because you brought up Pat Riley, is it tough for you to root in terms of rooting interest here? Because obviously you got the Lakers, but you got Riles on the other end there. Uh, is that tough? Uh, how, how, does that, how does that rooting interest go for you? Oh, it ain't tough for me. Rouse is a villain now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that purple and gold. This suits were never purple and gold, but he still looks good. Yeah. I see him in the bubble gray hair, all slicked back and everything. I love Coach Riley. And, you know, wishing him the best. But in this situation here, uh, if it weren't the Lakers they were playing, I definitely would be rooting for the Heat. But uh, this is a Laker thing, and I don't think he can stop <laughs> the stream. Uh, I guess uh, let me go to some some Showtime era stuff because I think a lot of fans have sort of um, put that back in the back of their heads. Uh, just what was your what are your favorite memories uh, from the Showtime era Lakers? Believe it or not, it was 1984 when we lost to the Celtics for the first time in the championship. 
Okay. And that uh, was actually second time. We lost the, uh, in 84, and we were there and had a chance to win it. And uh, we just had a lot of turnovers. And anyway, they ended up beating us. And that, I think, solidified what we were supposed to do the next six years in basketball there. Because, again, I remember Magic and I were in the showers, and we just – thinking about it you could hear the media in there asking why 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 did you guys lose me being from los angeles growing up here had the chance to see jerry west in the 70s always losing into the lakers early 70s and just that was a little bit of burden on our shoulders because again as our organization is very proud the lake organization we didn't get it done and i think from that moment forward we set out to do what we eventually ended up doing was that to winning championships and breaking through. Now, coming back in 85, first game we play, Boston Massacre on a Monday. We get there, we lose by 33, but those negative feelings didn't seep in because we understood what we had to do. And Pat Riley gave a memorable speech. You know, back in the day, back in those days, they used to, instead of the, the uh, what do they call them, the tech boards that they have now and, uh -huh. and all that, Pat Riley used to have the green board with the white chalk, you know. Pat Riley, after that game, made us watch that game two times. He just fast forward, fast forward, rewind it, fast forward. And then after that, he says, we will not lose this series. And he proceeded to punch that blackboard and punch the hole in it. And I really? knew we were going to win then. So for me, the mo my, my most memorable moment was our worst moment, losing to the Celtics, because after that, we came back, we won that series in Boston, 85, 86. And then we just went on our run then. So... Um, Sometimes good things come in bad moments, and that was one of them. You, you kind of hear that a lot with some athletes, where uh, some, of, some of the lowest moments of their careers are actually the stepping stones to the, getting to the peak. Uh, it's kind of unique to hear about that. Um, curious, Magic Johnson's, I believe it was 1980, uh, rookie year, uh, that epic game six against the Sixers, where he, I think Kareem, uh, Kareem sits out with a sprained ankle. Uh, he plays, I think he plays center for you guys. Uh, he played every position. But he comes up with 42, 15, and 7 in that game. Um, how the hell did he do what he did as a rookie, especially in well, that game? You know, Magic had that, uh, uh, that win winning attitude that goes back to high school when he was ever at high school and then taking that to Michigan State. And that game, that year was interesting <clears throat> because at the start of the season, all we wanted to do was just be a competitive team. Mm -hmm. You know, Magic came to a team that had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jamal Wilkes, Norm Nixon as the three-pronged guys that was going to lead us. So Magic comes, and as that season goes along, we started slowly but surely turning into a team. And by the time we got to the playoffs playing the Sixers, it was just, hey, you guys, let's just play basketball, have fun. That was the whole purpose, just play basketball. We, we don't, we'll worry about championship later, but let's play. So finally, we're in the fifth game, Kareem twists his ankle. That next morning, we leave flying domestic. We didn't fly like these guys now, chartered and nice stewardesses and food <laughs> everywhere. And on seat. You, know, you had to sit by, you know. Uh, so we get on the plane, and when you walk on domestic flights, that first seat is the one where it has all the leg room, 1A. It's a seat. Right. That was Kareem's seat, and Kareem wasn't there, so nobody sat in that seat. So we hear Magic comes in, he looks up at us and stuff like that, because we were kind of like gloom and doom and still sleepy from the night before, wondering what we're going to do with this game. Magic gets on the, the plane and goes, what are y'all sad about? Have no fear, Magic Johnson is here. 
and he set the tone, man. He, everything lit up after that, lightened up. We flew to Philly, got there, getting ready for the game. We're getting ready on the sideline. We're doing the huddle, and Coach Westhead goes, okay, Jim Jones, you're going to jump center. Magic goes, on. Oh, 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 I got this. And we all looked at him. What do you mean you got? I got this. I'm going to jump center. West says, okay, let's go. So we go out there, and you should have saw the look on Philly's face, Caldwell Jones, when Magic walked into the center. All the Philly players are looking at us, and they're all looking at Jim Jones like, what are you doing? And that, that set the stage. And that, that's what greatness is about, is, is, is daring, daring to take that leap, that leap of faith. And that's what he did. He set the tone and played all five positions, point center, Point guard, two, when we needed down to four, he slid down with playing against Bobby Jones. And that's what Magic, who Magic was all about. Now, let me say one thing about that 80s and that particular game, but you can't say Larry Magic Johnson without saying Larry Bird because those two gentlemen changed the way basketball had been played up until that point. They made it fun to pass the basketball. They made it fun to root for your teammate. They made it fun to make the extra pass. They made it fun to fight and be competitive. And the, the things you saw those two do in college when they went on and, and Magic beat Larry, they brought that to the NBA. And that, to me, changed the NBA for it to leapfrog into what it is today. Because without those two guys playing the way they played and that competitive nature spreading through their teammates and that one win all costs and not to be out of 40 and I don't care if we win as long as I get my 40. They changed that and that's what Magic did that night. 42 points, 15 rebounds and I think you're wrong. He had 15 assists. Was it 15 assists? Oof. Yeah, he had triple-double that game. A high yeah. triple-double. See, I, I'm going to take your word on that because I looked it up real quick. It's way past my time so I'm sure you know better than I do. Um, but just, you, you mentioned the, the different eras and how they changed the game moving on. What, is, what has it been like to see um, basketball changed because you said earlier you didn't think a jump shooting team could win this championship and they won three. Um, and so what's it like to see that that development from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and now 2020? Well, I think when you go through the 80s and the transformation came, I think in the mid the mid 90s, late 90s, is when you start getting an influx of European players. Uh -huh. European players. And I played overseas uh, when into my career in 90, and I got a chance to actually see this firsthand, is that they practice their 6'10", 6'11 guys as guards. And they, mm -hmm. they teach them to shoot three-point shots. So now you get Dirk Nowitzki. You get uh, all the European, great European, Manu Ginobili. You get players coming over. And I think uh, Norm makes this point good. He says, you know what? The NBA didn't change Europe. Europe changed the NBA. And when they started coming over, now you got players that are normally down there in the paint standing out by three-point line. How do you guard a guy like that? And I think, you know, Dirk is knocking down shots. And, okay, and it kind of messes with your mind a little bit because big guys are supposed to be inside, but this guy's on the outside, and I'm a big guy, so I got to stay inside. So just a lot. And I think the European League definitely changed the NBA. Uh, I will say it's for the good. I think it, it really helps, and it, it uh, diversifies the game all the way around. But, uh, yeah, it, it changed, and I think now what you have is the, the reverse of everything. But, again, it's going to change again because when the Lakers win this championship, how do you beat them? How do we beat them next year? you got to be big. And I don't think going down the stretch that AD will shoot, especially in this thing here. He's going to realize there's nobody on that Miami team that can guard him, so we got to take that ball inside. Or LeBron will post up. So uh, it's been good all the way around for the NBA, I think, as we go through this. And I think another change is coming. 
What, I don't know, but I do expect uh, really small ball. Don't be surprised. Again, you know, got, uh, Pat, Pat Riley used to call us Riley's runts. He would put all of us out there in the 80s. 6'9", Magic, Worthy, Jamal Wilkes, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott. And we were big, but we were runts, and we just ran. Well, now look at this. You might – the midgets. You might have five guys out there, six feet tall, <laughs> that can shoot and get to the basket and dunk and play big. And so I expect – I can't wait to see what this next change is going to bring. But it's going to be fun, and it's about this game of basketball. Now, I wanted to talk to Kobe Bryant for a bit. Um, I'm curious – I guess from the media perspective and fan perspective, uh, there's a lot of been made about the Lakers drawing uh, inspiration from Kobe. Um, you being a former Laker, you obviously knew him and all that. How uh, is that true? Uh, is, is it easy to draw inspiration for something like this, especially, you know, you know um, they have the, the win for Kobe year is what they're saying it is. Do you feel like that's this kind of year? Oh, for sure. I can feel you can, and I'm at home. I'm not in the bubble, but you can feel Kobe's presence on the team. Uh, especially the way that that happened, unexpected. And, and, but, you know, um, those are things that we have to deal with. And Kobe was a big fan of the Lakers by showing up to the games and watching. And, you know, he, he, all of us former Los Angeles Lakers, that Kobe played for one team, I played for one team, James Worthy, Magic, we never went anywhere else. So our loyalty is always going to be here. Mm-hmm. So... But for Kobe, it's just a different kind of presence there. You know, that never say never, uh, the Mamba mentality. You can see that on these guys. And I love the fact that they're wearing those black uniforms because that's who Kobe was about. You know, he wore his emotions on, on his – you don't have a shirt sleeve, but he wore it on his lapel right here about every game coming out and giving it its all. So I do for sure believe that, yes, this is. Let's win this for Kobe. If you have to find something to motivate yourself, so what better cause than to do it? And basketball, right. playing basketball, half the battle is motivating. Get yourself ready to play. Hey, I just think about Kobe, and that gets me fired up. And you see right now, I'm 64, and I'm thinking about Kobe, and I want to go out there and play, <laughs> knowing I can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite uh, memory with Kobe that you, that you can share with us? Well, my one is when we first signed Kobe. Uh, when the lo- Kobe came to work out with the Lakers, I was the place, person that had to defend against him. And when he came, we were over at Inglewood High School. I'll never forget this 17-year-old kid coming there. And as I was on the staff at that time, and they were talking about, okay, Coop, uh, let's take him in low post. Don't let him get a shot. Work the pick and roll. Don't let him come over. Uh, Kobe, you got to get – they put some X's on the floor. You got to get there. You got to get there. Coop, your job was to take him from those spots. And the one thing that I'll always remember about Kobe in that particular workout was that he was able to get to all those X's. I mean, I – 40 years old still. I still had a little in the tank, but not as much as he had. Mm-hmm. That was the thing of his determination and his ability to use angles, dribbling, and his body to get to those spots and hit those shots. Now, he didn't hit every one, but when you can get to your sweet spot in the NBA, I heard Reggie Miller said this the other day, if I can get to that spot nine out of ten times, I'm going to hit that shot. I don't care what the defender do. And Kobe showed that at an early age. In the low post, when we went down there, I was supposed to take him. He only had a minimum of two dribbles that he could take. And he was strong for a 17-year-old. Now, it didn't show because he wasn't, like, physically strong, but he was that wiry strong. And uh, those are the memories uh, that stick with me because I had a chance to <laughs> go at him. I wish I had called him when I was 23 years old. It would have been a different story. <laughs> you know what? Those are the memories that stick with me on how good this kid was going to be. And after that workout, 
I mean, I'm drenched with sweat. He's drenched with sweat. Jerry, we all kind of met as a staff, and Jerry said, that's our guy. Wow. That's such a great story. I think I've heard a variation of that, um, but it's always good to hear it directly. Uh, it, yeah, because really the variation got him killing me, and Kobe didn't kill me. He just <laughs> <laughs> we set the record straight here. Yeah. Um, you mentioned guys playing their, their entire careers with one franchise. Um, me personally seeing this, outside of Damian Lillard, I can't really see teams or stars really staying in one market, maybe a Giannis or a Damian Lillard. But do you think anyone else can, can do that? Do you, I, I, how do you view that? Is it? I know a lot of the older heads, so to speak, are, are against all the player movement and all that. But how do you view that? And who do you think could stay with one team? Well, I think it's so much money to be made out there that that, that entices guys to move around. Uh-huh. Now, I think the home team or the team that you're with at that time can pay you a lot more. But the one thing I don't mind, and this is the one thing I said about Kevin Durant when he left OKC, I thought that OKC had Westbrook, Harden, and Durant. You figure out a way to win, all three of you guys there. But, again, that didn't happen. Players move and they left. Durant, I don't mind a player – at least one time in his career chasing a championship. I don't mind that. I think that's good. I mean, if you really want to win and it's not all about the numbers and about me, yeah, you're going to go to, you're going to, go to a team where, okay, I got a chance to get to the finals, okay? Winning, that's a whole other thing. But if I can get to the finals, you can't win unless you get there. So that I don't mind. But the thing that I do love and I appreciate and respect a lot is looking at Michael Jordan's career. When he got with the Chicago Bulls, we used to beat that team like a drum, man. All teams used to beat that. But you know what? Mike stayed in there, kept playing, watched how other teams were doing things, and then figured out how to get those players around him. And eventually you see what he was able to do, stand on your home team. So I'm a big believer in that. Loyalty is very, very important to me, especially in basketball. I've only played for one owner, Dr. Buss. And he was the greatest owner I've ever in, in professional sports. I'm going to say that because he's the only owner I've ever known. But, again, player movement sometimes could be special. In Durant's case, it was moving to Golden State and look what he was able to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I think it also gives you that ability like LeBron did when he left Cleveland and went to Miami, learned how to win a championship, then took that knowledge back to Cleveland and was able to – configure that whole organization as the team and was able to win a championship. I think that's how the knowledge of wisdom is spread a winning championship because if you've never won and it's hard to do, sometimes you got to go somewhere and get that knowledge and then come back. And I do respect LeBron for that fact that he just didn't stay there. He went back to his hometown to make Cleveland great and to help Cleveland win a championship. So player movement doesn't bother me. It just depends on what reason you're doing it for. And if it's for the money, then you're that player that we don't really want anyway. You're a selfish player. <laughs> Does that make LeBron's, you know, um, nine out of eight out of nine years in the I'm sorry, nine out of ten years in the finals, and then ten total finals uh, that much greater? I mean, he spent 60 percent of his career in the NBA Finals. That's just that's, that's crazy. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, I, I, you know, again. I don't care. Well, I do care if you're moving around a lot. But if you're going and you're trying to chase that ultimate goal, because, again, some players are compared to how many championships or measured to how many championships uh, that you won, Mm -hmm. then that's how it has to be. So I think it's phenomenal that LeBron – I'm looking at my career going back when I heard that story about him being in the the finals ten times. We went – well, we went nine times and won it five times. 
So there's something to say about that when you're constantly getting there, because as they say, you can't get married unless you get to the altar. And if I get to the altar <laughs> with a bride, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry somebody. Something's going to happen. So you can't win a championship if you're not in the NBA Finals. So I say kudos to him, but expect many more. He's going to break that record. I think the Lakers will get there when they win this one. I think they'll get there the next two years. Interesting. Um, Coop, tell me about a couple, a couple of things you mentioned before. Uh, you said you have your Showtime with Coop podcast. Tell me about that. Yeah, tune in to that Showtime with Coop. It's called podcast Insightful BS by my Lakers teammates and NBA legends. It's a great show. We sit and talk about some of everything under the sun. I've had Kareem, uh, 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 Rick Mahorn. Um, I've had a lot, James Worthy, Big Game, AC Green. Uh, a lot of people that has come on the podcast. Andy Bernstein, the actual photographer, photographer. Gary Vitti. Uh, our trainer at that time. And we, all we do is we just talk about basketball, talk about the, the days of the 80s and stuff like that, and just have a lot of fun. And uh, some of them take it personal. Rick Mahorn did, and I don't mind doing that because I don't mind doing a little trash talking. I'll use that word instead of the other four-letter word uh, <laughs> right now. But we trash talk, and you know what? It kind of uh, is that, it's that, that, that uh all those old men sitting on the porch mm-hmm. talking about how they used to be. Well, that's what it is. That's what it's like sitting on your back porch. And, uh, but it's Showtime with Coop, uh, insightful BS. Uh, also, there's a cameo thing that I do where you can, call, you can call cameo and have me request to say good words and things about a loved one or a friend or somebody special in your life to give them encouragement. And last but not least, and the one that I enjoy the most, because I enjoy giving some of this knowledge back that I have learned um, uh, from all the coaches that I've coached, and Pat Riley is probably the person that I've gotten a lot from, is I get a chance to work with my son in the AAU program. Mm -hmm. Uh, After coaching in the WNBA and in Atlanta, now I've come back and I've kind of settled into that. So I have an AAU team called 2-1 Elite and uh, club and take a lot of the young kids in our local area because most of the AAU programs are in California or down south in Orange County Mm -hmm. and some kids can't get down there so staying here in our backyard I get a chance to meet those young men give them a little bit of knowledge work with their game work strictly on the fundamentals and my age groups are from 8 to 15 16 once they get up there, then high schools kind of take over and it's kind of difficult to get the kids because you don't want them getting the mixed messages and let their high school coaches, but at least they'll have the fundamental foundation to go on to be good, solid basketball players and good, solid people. Why do you, uh, why do you like coaching? It's another way of me staying close to the game. Um, and another way of me giving back, it's about giving back to this game. So many people, uh, I think one thing that really, really got me into it were two things. One was Jerry West. When I first got with the Lakers, he used to bring me up to his office and say certain things about the game. And it wasn't so much the game on the floor, it's the game in your head, basketball IQ, talk about different things. And then the way Pat Riley handled us as far as getting us prepared for the playoffs, for the season, that big thing he said, we will I guarantee we'll go back to back those are things that uh, a lot of people don't do and good coaches teach you those type of things and sometimes it's the mind tickle you to get you ready and Mm -hmm. Pat Riley is very very good at attention to detail so all these things I learned I'm able to give back to young men and when I coach for the 13 years in the WNBA give to the women's game now real quick you touched on that Pat Riley line where he said next year we're going to do it again when you hear that line in the moment what do you think to yourself 
Well, what he did is he was triggering the point because every year we won a championship, what do you do when you win a championship? You think vacation, get away from basketball, spend time here, do what I want to mm -hmm. do, go places. Pat Riley needed us to be triggered in immediately. So when he said, I guarantee, that guarantee meant, okay, y'all, go on vacation for a week or two, and then you come back and get back to work. And that's what we did. And that's how we do that. Because usually in the you know, NBA regular season, you've got probably about six weeks. You know, and of those six weeks, you got maybe three with your family. Sometimes you guys will be four. And then you prepare to get ready to go to training camp. Training camp for the Lakers, when I played, was not training camp for you to come to get into shape. Training camp was for you to come to get our game ready because you come into training camp in shape. So now we can, we can move on and get things going. And I think when Pat Riley said that, that was totally a motivating factor. And it got us ready. And we did come back and repeat that year, the first team in 16 years to do it. Wow, he put some pressure on you guys right off the bat. Big time. <laughs> now, uh, your podcast, uh, Showtime with Coop, Insightful BS. Um, you, you mentioned that you, you, you guys go back and forth, a little bit of trash talking as well. It's, it's, uh, it's competitive, I guess, even though you guys have been retired for years? Well, it's competitive, but in a, in a, in a fun sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, again, with, even with my teammates, uh, Michael Thompson, uh, one of the, my favorite teammates to have. And Michael was a big... Uh, boxing aficionado. He always mm -hmm. thought he knew everything about boxing. <laughs> and back in those days, it was Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hitman Hearns, Cassius Clay, I mean, Muhammad Ali. And so we were always talking about boxing. So one day, Byron Scott and him are in the locker room, and they're kind of like in fighting and stuff like that. And Byron hit him with an uppercut and knocked Michael mm -hmm. out. <laughs> to this day, he argues that he wasn't knocked out. And I was the referee in there. And I counted the three before his eyes opened. <laughs> 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 so we talk about those kind of incidents as well as playing and what it was like to, to be around each other and enjoy each other and still have those relationships to this day. Yeah, we've long past our playing days, but you know what? When you start, the competitive juices start flowing, you go back into that self-preservation mode of like, oh, I was better than that and I was better than you. And so that's the fun part about it. That's incredible. I'm sure Michael denies that he was knocked out to this day, huh? <laughs> <laughs> deny it to no end. Deny, deny, deny. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, Coop, do you have anything else uh, you wanted to, you know, plug, promote, anything of your own? That's it, sir. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Of course, of course. Um, Michael, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, this is going to be up in a couple of days. But, um, yeah, if you guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Uh, as usual, you can follow me at Tomer Zarly. That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y on Twitter and Instagram, uh, follow clutch points. Um, obviously follow Michael Cooper, follow the showtime with Coop insightful BS podcast. Obviously he's got his cameo that you can get him to send you a message and his, uh, 2021 elite AAU program, uh, which is based out of where? Los Angeles, California. Los Angeles. Park. Awesome. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Um, as usual, get it wherever you guys get your podcast with this Google, um, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, we're everywhere. Uh, if you guys have a qu comment, question, or concern, leave it for me on, on the reviews. We, we really appreciate that. But do give us five stars, please. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. We hope you guys enjoyed, and we will catch you guys next time. Michael Cooper, thank you very much again for all the stories and for everything. We really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, T.